Apocalypse Rock Chapter 22 The Book and the Smoke We left it as we found it. Doug and Bear were back at Doug's office. It was still a mess from the previous day's suspected break-in. Doug was sitting at his desk and talking on the phone with Officer Singh. His breath steamed in the chilly air. We knocked on the door and shouted her name, but didn't hear anything. No, no, I don't think she's trying to hide. Maybe from you or Sweetland, I'd understand, but not from us. Doug fiddled with his cigarette, the window next to his desk already open in preparation. No, we didn't go in. Okay, all right. Doug hung up, looked around the mess, and then at Bear, who was in the chair opposite, jacket on and arms crossed, shaking his downturned head. Bear stood up and carefully walked through the stuff scattered across the floor. <sighs> Man, they tore this place apart, Bear sighed. You got coffee? Yep, in the kitchen. I'll have one if you're making. Doug looked up at the large poster map of the Salish Sea that hung on the wall. The jagged coastlines and hundreds of islands looked protected against the vast Pacific Ocean that was just hinted at by a small lip along the left side of the map. Doug opened July's laptop and punched in the password. The input field wobbled and an incorrect message came up on the screen in red letters. Bear clattered around in the kitchenette, preparing coffee. She hasn't changed her password in decades, Doug mumbled to himself then tried again. The same negative result wobbled up on the screen. Doug scoffed, closed the laptop, and picked up the book they had taken from July's desk, running his fingers through the multicolored tabs of post-it notes sprouting from inside the pages. The laminated dust cover had started to blister with age. Beneath the ornately scripted title, Don't Climb Trees, was an old black-and-white photograph of a small forested islet floating in a mirror-like sea. Spindly evergreen trees reached up from the rocky shores and into the mist, their reflections undulating in the smooth waters below. The shoreline was cluttered with a hodgepodge of tiny wooden shacks that jutted out into the still sea. The little chimneys seeped out wispy smoke. Small boats bobbed close to the shacks, and near the camera's eye there floated logs and other refuse. Under the image were the author's names, Sanctity de Vray, and Whispering Bird. Below that, read, published by the Anderson P. Anderson Collection. Doug opened the book. On the inside cover was stamped Sternum Island Public Library in black ink. Pasted opposite on the flyleaf was a pocket for an old library checkout card, the slip still inside, covered in due date stamps. The first was May 1989. The last was September 2005. Withdrawn from circulation was stamped across the pocket in red ink. A gurgling sound came of the kitchen, and the smell of brewing coffee started to fill the chilly air. Doug leafed through the book, his fingers sticking on the paper. There were maps of the Pacific Northwest, and old black-and-white photographs of longhouses and totem poles, colonial buildings and cemeteries, moss-covered cairns and Christian graves overgrown with shrubs. There were groups of young men, posing heroically with oversized saw blades in front of giant, felled trees, 
of indigenous men dressed in a mix of their traditional attire and European suits and bowler hats, of small figures in distant dugout canoes paddling through the misty sea. There were stern-faced members of old religious orders gathered around tables decorated with flowers in celebration, then young hippies in kayaks or frolicking among camper vans and teepees by the sea, naked children with long hair joyously splashing in a watering hole. I properly googled Sweetland last night, Bear shouted from the kitchenette. Doug heard the sound of coffee pouring into cups. I reached out to some contacts on a couple forms as well. I couldn't find anything about him being a cop anywhere else other than here. It's like he just up and left his couples counseling back east, then appeared here one day dressed up as a Mountie, and that was that. Bob's your uncle. Bear emerged from the kitchenette with two steaming mugs of coffee. Ta-da! You're a Mountie. It's possible this was his first post, replied Doug. He wouldn't be the first person to move out west to reinvent themselves, right? Doug took one of the mugs of coffee. Bear looked on as Doug continued to flip through the pages of the old book. The chapters were brief, each describing specific locations, dates of when the burial sites were actively used, various burial rites, and some local lore. Many of the pages had notes inscribed in a neat longhand script and pencil about the different sites personal recollections of visits to the places, cryptic annotations about geography, and so on. Is that July's handwriting? Bear asked. Pretty sure, replied Doug. He turned to the index at the back and looked up Sternum Island. There were four entries in the same chapter. Shemanus, Christian, Cowichan, Sandwich. He flipped to the chapter. A map of Sternum Island was dotted with several burial sites, and over top that, July had jotted down dozens of potential sites on the northwest side of Mount Costo. Next to the cluster of dots, she had written, Hippies. Another dot, this one by the book authors, not July, marked the center of Sternum Village, just up the lane on Orchard Grove. It was July's cabin. There's bodies buried in July's garden, Bear wondered. Doug raised his eyebrows at Bear, then turned the page. On the left was a picture of a gathering of cairns in the woods, covered in forest debris and ferns. Mount Costo Plateau has numerous, uncounted burial sites, many of which were made inaccessible after a landslide. Doug read out the caption below the image. I remember my granddad telling me about a landslide up Costo, said Bear. That was near the old garbage dump up there. On the right-hand page was a photograph of July's cabin when it was newly built. Apart from the structure settling into the uneven ground beneath it over the years, little about the cabin had changed to present day. A family of five, dressed in the Victorian Sunday best, posed outside of the porch steps. It was a sunny day, the vast garden behind the group lush and verdant looking. Over the shoulder of the straight-back father, Doug could make out the diamond-gridded window. Doug squinted at the face of the mother, her eyes hidden in shadows prominent cheekbones, and a long, thin-lipped mouth. Despite the blurriness, there was a strong resemblance with July's long and expressive face. Cradled in the woman's arms was a baby. There was a caption below the picture. Original Sternum Island homesteaders family, the Shackles, outside their Orchard Grove cabin in 1898. Several early pioneers are buried in unmarked graves nearby on family land. 
The neat long hand script had underlined the name Shackles, drawing a line out into the margin. Noting, Edith Shackles, ni Billy, married William Conrad Shackles, New Albion, 1886. Edwina, baby, married into Straitmoors, 1928. Patricia, three years old, married into McDonald's, 1920. Charlotte, four years old, married into Hardin's, 1923. This must be July's great-grandparents and grandparents, said Doug. They had just built the place and moved in. Bear took the book and smiled. There's so few buildings left from then, back when Terminal was still called New Albion, barely past being a one-horse town. Doug laughed. I remember July telling me that her grandmother was quite the flapper in the 20s, he said, pointing to the blurry little baby. His finger moved back to the mother, Edith her shadowed face's contours echoing July's. Sunkanny, remarked Bear. Has July ever said anything about her grandmother? Not really, replied Doug. July never mentioned it, said Bear. I guess her great-grandma was First Nations, with a last name like that. Billy. Doug squinted at July's handwriting, and Bear nodded. Was that normal back then, like natives and white people getting married and everything? asked Doug. More than you guess, replied Bear. All those guys from back east or Europe moving out here, chasing a dream. They sure as hell weren't going back home. Sooner or later they want a family. And guess when that sets in, people tend to lose whatever prejudice they might have real quick. I guess. It's the oldest story out there. Bear handed the book back to Doug. You can see she was looking everywhere in sternum for burial sites, said Doug, flipping through the rest of the chapter, then turned back to the map of sternum. Doug popped the cigarette into his mouth and lit it up. Especially Ocosto, said Bear, raising his cup. They sipped on their coffees, and some rain-speckled wind blew gently through the window. Tendrils of smoke curled up around Doug as he skimmed through the book. What are you smoking? Bear scrunched his nostrils. American spirit. Why? They both looked at the cigarette in Doug's hand. Smells weird, man, like burning tires. Bear stood up and sniffed. Doug stubbed out the butt and stood up, the two sniffing at the strange odor that now wafted through the chilly air, getting stronger and more pungent. At the window, dark plumes flew over Doug's office and into the forest behind. They ran out the front of the office. In the distance, up the gravel lane, Above the tall trees, a thick stream of dark smoke rose into the gray sky. July's cabin, shouted Doug. Apocalypse Rock is written and read by me, Nate Bitsinski. For more, go to apocalypserock.xyz. Thanks for listening.